This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the church boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Welcome Hi, back. it's me, Chris Field. Welcome to Church Boys. When you do that, you throw off you throw off the mic setting so much that it makes it impossible to do anything. The microphone hears your voice. All right, so my my lovely dulcet tones today. <laughs> so, um. Football practice has started. Well, football oh, season, no. I should say. So, yeah, the old coach likes to uh, yell at his players. And it's not scream at him, yell at him negatively. It's like, you know, hot, set, this, that, you know, giving them commands and, you know, getting cheers going and that sort of thing. And so I, I love coaching football, but it, it, does, it, does, uh, it does a number on my throat. <clears throat> Especially in the first few weeks when you have when you're not used to young screaming, so it'll, it'll my voice will cry, come. Why don't you cry me a river? I know I'm, that I'm as, almost as big a baby as you are, so almost. But you did not win worst complainer, <laughs> which, which and your Billy high loves, which Billy loves to brag about. Um, I know. I feel like I bring week. it up weekly. I think you do because well, it's what. See, the thing is, you have to do the thing you're good at. If God gifted you to be a complainer, you have to do those things. And so Billy does those things, and he loves to tell about the awards he got for doing those things. So well, it was an unintended award. I wanted funniest. Remember, that was the whole thing, and I did get funniest. I campaigned hard for it. Uh, most superstitious was the other honor that was unanticipated. So I I know this wasn't where we were going, but it just made me think of this. Did you read the story about um? The, the the football player for the Steelers, Harrison, and and his decision to uh, send back his yes. boys his boys uh, participation trophies. What do you think of that? Why are people being given participation trophies? That's what I thought about that. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I I don't know what what is the reason for it. I it's I mean, we want well, people look, to wait, feel wait, good. Wait, wait, but... wait, 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 wait. Okay, if there is a reason for participation trophies that has something to do with helping people feel good when they maybe have some sort of disability. That's a different story. Okay. I can, okay, I understand. Good. Okay. But okay. when you're giving them out just because I don't understand it. Yeah. I don't, I don't either. And the, the funny thing, there's been, there's been a real divide reacting to his, his decision to say, my boys are not going to get participation trophies. It's not how we're going to live. You know, the boys are like what, six and eight or something like that. And again, I support. I mean, for me, seriously, I su- I support that attitude. I understand. I could understand giving not necessarily trophies, but certificates or you know a little pin or something to say that you completed this or you did this or you did all the work that, w- that it took to be at this particular level. I get that kind of thing, but a trophy for when you don't win, you still get a trophy. That's that's a little weird. And he, he you know, and he talked about you know I I I don't want my kids. Listen, you got to always try your best. Don't be proud of trying your best, but sometimes your best isn't enough to win. So right. what that should do you is motivate win, you, you. You suck and you don't deserve anything. No, I'm kidding. But if you didn't win, <laughs> right. you then suck. you have to learn that as a kid. You're not always right. going to win or else you end up with losers who think for the rest of their life that they're always going to be given an award. Look, yeah. I was a total sore loser as a kid, but I learned over time right. that you got to lose sometimes. Right. And And understanding that sometimes your best isn't enough to win makes you then work on making your best better 
So you practice more. Or figuring more, you out harder. where you're really good. <laughs> right. Figuring out where you're really good or figure out maybe this isn't the thing for you, right? So if I were to enter a ballet contest, you know. You do well. You know, slight, thin, graceful me. If I were to enter a ballet <laughs> contest or competition, I'm not going to get first place. And I certainly don't want a participation trophy for it. But it will show me, you know what? Maybe this, maybe ballet is not the sport for you. <laughs> it's not the competition for you. No, because so, I think it is the sport oh, for yes, you. Oh, yes. Well, you should see me in a leotard. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, uh, we just, we recorded today. And we're got, we got an interview coming for you later later uh, later today in the show, <clears throat> but um, we recorded this interview with uh, Tulane Church Chumurchigan again, um, <laughs> uh, a pastor who's had some issues, and we're going to bring that to you later. But um, first, before he's great. We, he's actually a really nice. He guy. is, and he's friends with Billy. And before we do that, though, awkward transition. Billy, you had a story uh, earlier this week. Uh, about our friends, uh, the Kleins, um, over in Oregon. Can you give us a little update? What's going on with the Kleins and, and the story's kind of it's kind of a fun twist to it. Yeah, you know the Kleins. If you recall, last month I think the last time that we talked about them on the show, they have been refusing to pay this hundred and thirty-five thousand dollar fine that the state of Oregon has imposed. They're not calling it a fine, the state. They're calling it a judgment. The money essentially is a judgment. It would be given to this lesbian couple who was refused a cake by the bakers. Now, we've had them on the show, the Kleins. This was I found very interesting. Um, I received a press release that was stating that the Kleins had teamed up with Ray Comfort, who's a filmmaker. Oh, and for those of you who can't see, Chris Field is yawning oh, while exhausted. I'm telling the story. So, okay, well, just looking okay, you're going to say No, wait, you're going to say this. Here's why I'm yawning. Football, like I said, football season has started and we're doing two a days. So, here for for working at the blaze i get up and i go to work at five and then i work till about 7 30 7 45 and i go to practice <sighs> go to practice for two and a half hours come straight to my desk work then from what 10 15 until about 5 35 45 and then go back to practice for another two and a half hours and then come right, back yeah, home the, wait, wait, and work chris, some chris, more chris lift the bucket up under your face it's filled with tears please lift it up <clears throat> that's what Empty. i say to you billy that's all i can say to you now go back to your nonsensical story while i take a nap would you anyway anyway so the clients they they ended up wanting to send a powerful message to gay and lesbian rights groups. So they sent out 10 different cakes to 10 different groups, and the cakes each have this big heart on them. And being a total fatty, they look delicious. I oh, wish they, one would have been sent to me. Oh, man. Oh, they, they look, look so wonderful. good, do they, not? they do. Oh, man. You sent me that they story. Did. I'm like, oh, that looks so good. They, it looks so good. I need to ask them to mail you one. Right. Yes. Um, anyway, it says, we really do love you on the cake. And the whole point was for the clients to say, hey, we disagree. We believe you should be able to live the way you want to believe, just as we should be able to live the way that we want to believe, which means, you know, we might not want to provide gay wedding cakes. Um, and along with that, they sent a gift card and a, and a copy of Ray Comfort the evangelist, you know, movie about homosexuality that he recently made called Audacity. We also right. covered that right. uh, film as well. So anyway, they send these cakes out and people went crazy over this story. Um, why, why do you think, Chris? Why do you think people well, love this story? Me, you know, so here's I, I think we got a lot of traffic and I think we got a lot of reaction from it. One, because there are a lot of people want to say, what a nice gesture. And I think that that's a fair thing to say. Well, it is a nice gesture. And I do believe that that's what Melissa had in her heart when she did this. I think it's great. The other side will say, well, this is just total publicity stunt. And I could understand that too, because there's a part of me when I read it, it's like, 
But this seems like a weird publicity stunt. I, I, I don't think that these people are going to be really receptive to receiving these cakes. I, 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 because I've become so cynical and jaded. The, that, that, that's kind of where my mind goes. What did you think? Well, I did say that I got a press release. So, I mean, that right there means that somebody put a press release out. But did Melissa I will do, say this. did Melissa do the clients do the press release? Was that no? They, and that's what I was going to say. When I talked to Melissa yesterday, I let her know. Oh, you know, and there's look, there's nothing wrong with getting a press release about this. I think right. Ray Comfort, you know, along with those cakes, Ray's movie was given, right? And a gift card was given for dinner and all this other stuff. But I think that from Ray's perspective, um, you know, this was an opportunity to get the movie out there. And I and I do think that both parties, you know, the clients and Ray Comfort do want people to understand why they believe what they believe about gay marriage and homosexuality. So when I told Melissa that a press release went out, she didn't even seem to know about that. Okay. You know, she didn't even seem to know that a press release went out. I I think she has no problem talking about this stuff, but I would say after two years of interviewing that family that they really do want people to know that they love them. And regardless of whether or not it's it, it feels like it's some sort of scam to get media attention. I mean, look, the family's raised almost four hundred thousand yeah. dollars on a crowdfunding campaign. I don't think they're in desperate need of any more attention at this point. So right. I do think. You know, they're just speaking their truth and trying to get people to understand it. And I think that that cynical view of it is, is, is well, one part, part of our job. Like we spend our, we spend our life involved with people who are attention whores and looking, uh, looking for ways that they can most greatly benefit from a situation because so I'm, I'm jaded in that regard, but having, so I could see so though somebody being skeptical of this and seeing it as some sort of publicity stunt until you get to know the clients and that's and that's the key right you get to know somebody and understand their heart and the, and the way that they act and listen we know the clients i mean we have spot, talked with billy much more than i and we can say for a fact they were never doing anything to be evil to people or to hurt people's feelings nor nor are they doing this as some sort of attention grabber this is we are telling the world. We are telling these people that we love them, and I think they. Well, genuinely can I be honest? That. Yes. Can I be honest? Please, about please, something? for so, once, for once, and please I'm pulling be. this up. I, I'm for once. I'm pulling this up as I'm talking here on my email because I want to, you know, be again. There's nothing wrong with Ray Comfort looking for attention sure. for his movie. Sure. Nothing. I'm not attacking him, but but what I what I am saying is that what I saw was a press release for Ray Comfort and his movie, and it mentioned you know the headline on it was that Melissa and her husband Aaron had had put these cakes out there but the request to interview and I'm just I'm pulling it up right now to arrange an interview with Ray Comfort please contact dot 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 nowhere in this email did it ever say to contact the clients go here I called the clients because I was more right. frankly interested in what they had done and why they had done it right. so that to me shows they weren't really involved in that piece in that piece of it so you're you're more in touch with what our readers are thinking about this than I am because you wrote the story, so you've seen all the comments. I haven't gone through the comments or received any emails on it. What what has been the reaction to this? I think you know the reaction has been sort of there are a variety of reaction, reactions, right? You're going to have the people who are like what you just said. Oh, maybe this is a publicity stunt. A lot of people, I think, though, are moved by it in the sense of. You know, look, they're spending the money to send these cakes out. They're spending the money to say, we love you. They sent a letter along with those cakes. I think people see this as, 
you know what? We could have a screaming match back and forth. And when I say we, I mean the clients and gay rights groups. They can go back and forth and scream at each other. You have a family that's been hit with a $135,000 fine. Um, and, and you have a lot of chaos and media attention. That could go very badly. Yeah. Instead, yeah. whether let's say it is a publicity stunt. Instead, what they've done is instead of lashing out, they've consistently been kind yep. and have sent cakes along with a letter to explain their position. So right. I think that resonates with people and they see it as being something that is unexpected. And I think that's why the story did right. so well. You just don't expect that reaction. You expect a more negative yeah. reaction at this even, point. Even if it's, even if, yeah, like you said, even if it is a publicity stunt, it is the kindest, most caring, loving publicity stunt I have ever seen. Right. So, and it really does look delicious. I'm looking at a picture of those cakes now. I'm, they honestly, just look I mean, I'm they about to amazing. violate journalistic standards and ask her to send us a free I think one. you should. Why don't you text them or email them <laughs> and ask them? I'm, I'm not joking here. Why don't you say? Well, look, look. When push comes to shove, my fattiness overpowers anything else. So. <laughs> yes. Well, what we're doing is a public service. We wouldn't want them sending out, you know, bad, stale, nasty cakes to people. We're so testing it. For send them. it to us first, and we'll tell you, yes, yes, this will be seen as as an actual loving gesture rather than the publicity stint that it obviously is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of speaking of uh, stunts, you know, last week. Um, we did a uh, a prank phone call on a on a dear friend of ours, and um, <laughs> I haven't stopped laughing about it since it happened. It was it was, it was uh, astoundingly. It was amazing. one of the greatest things ever. And so, um, if y'all, one of the things I've been thinking is, is there a is there a Blaze Stafford that you'd like for us to prank? Like, even like, okay. So I hesitate to ask this on the air, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Billy. Do you have Glenn Beck's phone number? I do not. I have other con modes of contact, but no phone number. What about, do you have Stupid Gear's phone number? I could get it. Ooh. See, now that could be fun. Like if we got one of the big dogs. You know, when we're, when, okay, we have to schedule it, though, when we're plotting our, uh, you know, our leaving of the blaze. <laughs> <laughs> we, we plan on quitting. It'll be so the, we thought... the glorious final episode and... We'll call it I mean, a Blaze of Glory. Would be great. Oh, it would be wonderful. It would be, wonderful. It would be amazing. <laughs> All right. So you're so evil. Any, like you have hmm. you're the nicest evil Christian I've ever met. Chris <laughs> it's, it's a gift. It really is. It's a it's a gift. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what I wanted to say is if you're listening, you've got ideas for people we could call or prank or whatever that you some of you'd like to see us, maybe see if we can get uh not just interview. We would love to for suggestions of people you'd like to hear us interview and talk to on the air. We're open to those ideas too. But if there's somebody you'd like to see if, if we could come up with a way to get them, um, I would love to hear those suggestions as well. And I wish I had Joel Osteen's direct number because oh, that would be a really fun oh prank. Oh my goodness! Oh, that would be, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Can you imagine? <sighs> I can imagine. I'm imagining oh, it as we speak. I've got some ideas, some things I could say right now that would get us in trouble. I was just so, going to say, that would get us not an interview. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, if you've got ideas for people we can get. And again, if you have ideas, listen, this is the show. Glenn likes to say, welcome to the network that you're building. Listen, this is the show that you're helping us create. Listen, we're a couple of, couple of boobs with microphones. And so as we grow the show and... It, Folks, believe it or not, believe it or not, this show is growing. We're actually getting traction. We're building an audience, and we love it, and we love spending time with you, and we love the fact that you guys are 
at least semi-interested in the things that we're saying. So as we continue to grow this, we, we do want your input on, on things you'd like to see us do. And so get, Billy and I were and just talking yesterday. what do you want yesterday. us to talk about? What yeah. do you want to, you know, do you want Chris to wear the Enfuego costume I will. and run around Absolutely. Times Square? Absolutely. In fact, Billy, how about the rest of the show we do shirtless? You up okay. for it? Okay, here we go. All right. <laughs> Excuse me, just a minute. All right. Uh, there. All right, there we go. Rest of the show shirtless. And the only you, people it's awkward are, for are us. You are welcome, America. <laughs> so anyway, Billy and I were just talking yesterday. And again, this is, you know, we like to give the sticky, gooey center of the show. You guys see how it's created. But we were just talking yesterday. We are so happy about this show and what's going on with it and how it's growing. But we really do want to take next steps. How do we continue to grow this? And we are so thankful again for, for you listeners who are out there, you know, um, doing real work while we're sitting here yapping. But you're listening, you're enjoying it, and you're having fun, and we are having a blast. I mean, this is this makes life bearable doing this. So if you have ideas for the show, if there are regular features you'd like to hear, if there are interviews you'd like for us to get, we've got a couple big ones coming up, I think, that will be fun. One that we've got scheduled for next week. We don't want to talk about it yet, but that could be a ton of fun and could be a different angle for us. Anyway, so if you guys have ideas for our show, features, games, <laughs> jokes, pranks, interviews, you want to hear whatever, something, something sad? Can I just we want to hear? We wanna, okay, go ahead. I don't remember what we're doing next week. <laughs> it had it was a it was a pro life story, but a very different angle. Oh yes, okay. It's in the state of Florida. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? No. You're such a dope. <laughs> okay, I'll get more specific. It's in a. In a I'm totally joking. I know. I okay. totally know. And All in right. fact, we are taping that interview on Monday at noon. Okay, but don't say in case it falls through. I don't want to give anybody their hopes, get their hopes up. But it's kind of a. It's going to be a pretty cool. And it's yeah, be I think cool it's going to be really good. It's a very really angle yeah. for us. So, all right. So anyway, with all that said, let's take a break. We'll come back and we got a couple of the stories that Billy, for whatever reason, picked. Oh, I know because Billy wrote them and it gets him more attention because he's an attention whore. We'll be right back. Back to the church boys. Okay, welcome back. Um, Billy's hissing. I don't know. He's deflating. Are you deflating? You're getting thinner. No, I just, I was going to say, Satan is so angry all the time. And I'm always surprised still. And we hear it every week about how angry he is. He is angry. Maybe I need to make some, maybe I need to talk to him and get some new bumpers made. So he's not going to sound so angry. Like, oh, it's, it's the church boys. That sort of, that sort of announcement. <laughs> oh my Hello. God. I can't even do my those voices because of my no you're you're so mentally and physically ill i am so we're going to get into this a little bit early here billy's got another story that he wants to cover but first we must say and now it's time for billy hallowell's outrage of the week so this is one of those stories where i don't know if i should be outraged because i don't i wasn't there and it's like okay so many times you only get one side of the story. And in this case, what we have going on is we have a conservative legal firm, right. uh, the Rutherford Institute. They are fi- they have filed a lawsuit, okay, in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia against a city in Virginia, Hampton, Virginia. Oh, Hampton. The- you know, so here, okay, so here's, here's something weird. This is totally Hampton, Virginia. My father-in-law is a professional Santa Claus. Did you know this? Wait a minute. 
Wait a minute. I did not. My father-in-law is a professional Santa Claus. In fact, my idiot children think he's the Santa Claus. So <laughs> He's a professional Santa Claus, so he gets hired. He's part of like the Santa Claus guild. And so they get hired and go all over the Wait, place. Wait, there's a guild? Is there well, there's like, there's like different, an actual... I call it a guild. I've always called it the guild because I'm I'm a fan of the Wizard of Oz. We represent the lollipop guild, the lollipop. So I love the word guild, you know. I love so all I go, that word lollipop. <laughs> My daughter, when she was little, always got lollipop, lollipop. Anyway, so Hampton, Virginia, my father-in-law is a professional Santa Claus, and he was actually stationed, stationed, whatever, in Hampton, Virginia. Like for, in the military? So, you get sta- this well, you is get, a whole like, underworld get, that I know you, nothing you about. Con- you get contracts to be with different photography companies to be Santa Claus in different stores or malls or cities, and then you make all your money because the, the photo company pays you to be Santa Claus, and then they make money off the photos. So anyway, it's an underworld. Yeah, so there's a whole, there's a whole. I mean, this is like an actual profession, and he makes more in six weeks than a lot of people do in a year. So, anyway, he's a professional Santa Claus, and he was in Hampton. So we spent a lot of hot time in Hampton because we used to live in Virginia, and every year when he was down there from you know a week before Thanksgiving through Christmas Day, we'd go down for a weekend and see him and stuff. So we spent a lot of time in Hampton. So this is interesting. This is happening in, in uh, in Hampton. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So. Uh, basically what we have going on here is we have a situation in which these two street preachers, and I, don't let me forget, one of these street preachers was the subject of a story we did last year that was amazing. Is, so Santa, we Claus? Talk is, it, about that. is it Santa Claus? It's not Santa Claus, okay. but I'm, I, we need to do a whole, we need to have your father-in-law on the you show know, near Christmas here. to talk. He's here right now. He's actually at you my should, house. You should really go get him. He's napping. Don't don't put him on this. Don't put him on the spot right now. He's he's napping. He's napping right now. Yeah, everybody over the a certain age naps. I mean that's fine. So I nap. Maybe we can get him in for just a quick ho 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 thing. All right. So here's the deal. These two street preachers, Don Carnes and Nathan Magnuson, Magnuson, the two of them in 2013 went to this festival, the Hampton Bay Days Festival, which ironically is canceled this year. But in 2013, they went and the two of them were preaching and they apparently used a moderate, a moderate volume on and they didn't call it a megaphone in the complaint. Um, They essentially called it. What was the word? It was basically a device. Sound application, a sound application device? Yes, a sound amplifier. That's what okay. they called it. Um, okay, so sound amplifier, blah, blah, blah. They used that. Now, we don't know how loud it was. I have to tell you, my outrage is this. And I'm not going against these two guys because I don't know what happened. But the most ridiculous, obnoxious, awful, insane thing in the world is being exhausted. I haven't had my coffee yet. It's 6 o'clock, and I'm on the subway, and there's some freak show screaming about Sodom and Gomorrah and how I'm going to go to hell on the subway. Everybody hates this person, but you're so crowded and sweaty that you just, all you want to do is jump off of the train. Okay. I hate it. I hate being <laughs> trapped with these screaming preachers telling me I'm going to hell, no, even this, though I'm trying to, is this a, com- is this a common thing in New York? Yeah, they're everywhere really? and they get weirder and weirder. I feel like so now look, if you're peacefully, you know, calmly preaching, which these guys may have been doing that. I don't know. I'm fine with it, but if you're in my space and you're, I'm forced to listen to you because I can't get around you or get away from you, then I absolutely hate my life in that moment. Chris is laughing. It's true, and that is my outrage. But anyway, so they're being, these two guys, go ahead. So they're being sued. So your outrage isn't what they're being sued over. Is your outrage? Well, no, is they're the fact suing. That they, they're, oh, they're, they're suing. suing. But your your outrage isn't what happened to them. Your outrage is the fact that they exist at all. <laughs> not these two guys. Not these. Okay. Look, 
the according to this complaint, these two guys were approached in 2013 by a couple of police officers who came up and told them they were violating a sound ordinance, apparently. And the what what we can gather, because the, the city won't tell me anything. I called the city and spoke with them. They will not give me any information. From what we can gather, one of these guys was arrested because he didn't have a permit for the sound device, whether that was a megaphone or what I assume it was a megaphone. He didn't have a permit. So in that case, he ended up being arrested, and he wouldn't give his ID. I mean, I don't know. Very, very bizarre details that I have not been able to clear up. I haven't gotten my hands on the police reports. Right. The other guy was given a citation. These complaints were thrown out in the end. So all of it was thrown out, um, even though the one guy was arrested. The next year, fast forward to 2014, one of them goes back, the guy who was arrested, and he gets cited again for the same exact thing at this festival. Again, the charge is thrown out. What the Rutherford Institute, on behalf of Carnes and Magnuson, what they are suing for is this sound regulation, claiming that it's you know basically unconstitutional. Um, and let me just read a quote here really quickly because I think it sort of sums it up. Um, John Whitehead, who's the head of the Rutherford Institute, right. he said, quote, the uh, United who is a friend of the blaze, by the way, we should, yeah, yeah, we should great, point that out. We, we like John Whitehead. Yeah, he's a great guy. He said, the United States has historically stood for unfettered free speech, which is vital to a functioning democracy. Unfortunately, the tendency on the part of government and law enforcement officials to purge dissent has largely undermined the First Amendment safeguards for political free speech. So it seems like the issue is really this sound ordinance. And and he said they weren't being that loud. So if they're not being that loud, should they really have been cited? Well, part, and why part, was it thrown out if it was such a big deal? Right. Well, part of I mean, maybe they maybe they threw it out because they just didn't want the headache. But part of it was didn't he has he you had to have a permit to set up a sound system of any kind or sound application device of any kind. That's what that, that's what one of the citations that, was for the guy Magnuson who was arrested. They, that doesn't sound unreasonable to me. No, I mean, but then again, is it a sound system or a megaphone? We don't know that. I haven't been able to get clarification on this, and I've emailed, I've you know, I've emailed the police department. I've asked for a copy of the police report. So hopefully, look, if they're holding a megaphone, should you need a permit for that? I don't know if there if there are speakers in a speaker system. Well, that's different. Well, and me. they went and they went to wasn't it? It was at the event though, the Hampton Bay Days. I mean, it was like if I went to if I went to the you know the some sort of county fair with a big megaphone and walked around screaming at people through a megaphone, through a sound, amplica sound amplifier or a sound amplification device, wouldn't I also get, you know, dinged? Because, listen, this is where we're at the fair. You don't need to walk around with that megaphone. You can go around and tell people stuff, but you're just being a general nuisance. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I can understand there being a, a permit required for something like this. I'm not, under, I, I guess I don't understand how it's a, an infringement of your speech just because you can't have it uh, on a sound yeah, system. Well, and and how big a sound system? How many, how big a sound system do I have a right to carry on me? Should I be able to drive? Or should I be able to put a giant sound system on the back of my pickup and drive that around the the roads that go around and just start screaming and yelling through those things at the people at the Hampton Bay days? Well, and I, I agree. And I guess the difference is if you had a booth, that's totally different. A booth where you're talking to people versus yelling at people. And again, we don't know what they were doing. Right, and booths These stories always permits. frustrate me because I can't get all the details, right, right. you know? That's weird. I mean, it is weird. But, but look, I mean, can you really say that the sound issue is something that's unconstitutional, that, that a regulation around sound is unconstitutional? I don't know. Pro I mean, right. probably not. I, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know. 
So anyway, so regardless of the situation here, that doesn't make street preachers preachers any less outrageous, right, Billy? No, no, because look, if you and, and actually, if I were at a festival and people were screaming at me. I mean, and I had to walk away from it. It's kind of annoying. I mean, yeah. but if I could walk away and they have the right to be there, I don't, it, it gets tricky. These free speech things get tricky. They but do. if I'm on a train, get the hell away from me because right. I don't want to hear you well, and there's go also on a dis- and on and on. There's also a disturbing the peace thing. Is there an expect, is there, you know, at a thing like this, is there an expectation of a certain level of peace at this thing? I mean, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let me just, I want to read this line because I think uh, one more line, not to be boring, but I want to read it. In a complaint filed in court on behalf of the street preachers, the Rutherford Institute attorneys are challenging a Hampton, Virginia law restricting voice amplifiers that was used to cite, convict, and arrest the street preachers for sharing their message amidst crowds gathered for the city's Hampton Bay Days. So that is what they're going after. I don't, I don't know. I if I wish I had a video of it. If I had a video yeah. of it, then I could be yeah. like, "Yes, I hate you," or "No, you guys were fine." Yeah. <laughs> well, your your default <laughs> position is going to be that you hate them because just shut up. Peepers, That's my default position. Just, are... Shut up and don't <laughs> preach. No, I'm kidding. I'm, You're I'm so totally full of kidding. you are so full of hate. You're so full I'm of hate. I'm kidding. Preach away. Just don't do it near me. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. He explained. All right, so that let's, was like the Dixie chick. Shut up and don't breathe. <laughs> Yo, that okay. So that's that was the Laura Ingram book, right? The uh, Shut Up and Sing book that she wrote. You know, I don't know the, because the, I the idea that good books. To the, read. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Well, the company I worked for published it. Um, oh, remember? it's a wonderful book. No, I'm kidding. No, actually, the, I think I I'm to totally joking. I actually think she's very smart. It woman. was it was a fine book, except for the fact that. I, I understand the sentiment behind it as a, you know, as a, as a, you know, if you're a Dixie Chicks fan or the Pearl Jam fan, you're like, shut up already. I came here for the concert and not to hear you lecture me. At the same time, we love it when conservative celebrities come out and say something or pro, you know, pro second amendment celebrity. And well, they'll be our headlines. They'll be our top stories on all right. the conservative sites. At the same time, if a liberal comes out and says something, shut up, shut up, liberal, you shouldn't be saying those things. So, you know, some celebrity comes out. It's like, well, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Though. The devil doesn't. I need agree any, with the you. devil does not need any advocates. Well, on this show, he does. And look, I, I don't like it at all. I actually think it's annoying when celebrities give their opinion. I think the problem with liberal celebrities is that they so dominate. That there's not even an equal time uh, for different perspectives in Hollywood at all. That it becomes so annoying because you can't escape it. It's like when nine out of ten of these. These idiots are saying the same stupid, idiotic, uninformed thing. It becomes frustrating. So I think that's why conservatives have that double standard, I think, where they're sort of like, oh, thank you, Melissa Joan Hart, for being a Republican. But then you hate the Democrat because there's just so many. It's like if it were 50-50, it would be fine. You know, but they're influencing people with their stupidity and freak (laughs) showedness. It's Friday, Friday. So I'm like extra unhinged this week. I understand. All right. Do so you? yeah, I think I do. Let's take a break, and then I I want to come back. The interview that we have, we'll have in the next break. We've got a great interview coming up, but it takes a little bit of time to set it up. So we're gonna take a break, gather our thoughts, and on the other side of this break, we're gonna bring you that interview. But Billy's gonna set it up because this is this is a an interview uh, on a very sensitive subject with a with somebody who's actually a friend of Billy's. And so I'm going to let Billy. And it's not Josh Duggar. And it's not Josh. (laughs) We'll get into that later. I'm Uh, I'm actually not friends with Josh Duggar. Yeah, sure. Whatever you say, Billy. But we'll get into that uh, on the other side of this break. So we'll be right back.
The church boys. Man, I hate these guys. Billy, Billy, are you there? <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Billy? I'm sorry. Hello. I am here. And Billy? we just had this whole discussion oh, no. about how Billy? I was going to Billy? bring us back. Billy took a little nappy poo right before we came back. And no, I, I became so distracted by something. Was um, it food? Was there a picture, uh, more pictures of cakes on your computer screen? Hold on, hold on. Can you hear this? Why isn't it working? No, I can't hear it. Well, forget it. What I was distracted <laughs> by was the, the person who we interviewed, who, I'm, who is my friend, I have such a hard time with his last name. I think everybody in America okay. does. Um, and so I was, I was Googling ways to pronounce it, and okay. I was looking at audio files on it, and okay, then so, I lost track of what was happening. So, Billy, okay, so listen closely. Let's see if you can hear this. Were you able to hear that? I was. <laughs> okay. Um, so, hold on, because I'm... Okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. I got it. Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. Whatever you say. Go ahead, Chief. Okay, we're good. We're good. Well, look, what I was supposed to do was say, welcome back to the church, boys. Um, you, and you I didn't. actually had a really funny welcome back, making fun of Chris, that okay, I now so, cannot do because... So, no, well, you know what? Let's just... This is the gooey part of the show. We'll we'll play that little come back again. So, I'll, I'll play that little stinger for you again. And then you can just pretend like nothing happened, okay? Okay. So, here we All are. Right. We're, That's we're back. We're you. back here in... Oh, wait, let me get this set up here. I'll get it on the right page on the replay machine here. Okay, we are back in three, two, uh, one. So here's the stinger. The so when it when it when yeah, it plays, and I give you the signal, go ahead, Billy. Hi guys. <laughs> okay, so, Chris Field. Okay. I'm so tired from so, all the football I've been playing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, no, you That's didn't do it right. So let's try this one more time. Let's be professionals okay. here. So you had you had a clever name. You're going to bring it back like you've done this before. And you had a clever little thing you're going to say. So in three, okay. two, one. And so we're coming back. The church and rolling. And I give you the signal. Go. And oh. well, that's, that's <laughs> now listen, listen here, boys and girls. All you young broadcasters <laughs> out there hoping to get fired early in your career. Uh, this is how you burping. do it. Okay, do you want to try it one more time? See if we can get this one right? More. One okay, more. One we more. are back in three. <laughs> what is it, Chris? Chris, control What's, yourself. What has happened? You know, your uh, friend is, we had this really nice discussion, this nice interview, and your friend's going to hear this and go, oh my God, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> All right, I'm, okay. I'm ready. <laughs> we are back <laughs> Three, two, one, here it comes. Okay, and it's rolling. The church board. Satan and all the bedroom music and go. And we're back, even though I'm not supposed to say and we're back, but we are back. And we have a great interview with my friend. Um, and it's so funny. Look, we warned our guest, and his yes, name is did. Pastor Tullian Chuvigian. I, I got know, it right. Is, it, did, is that correct? I can I, never pronounce yes. it. Okay. No, listen, Pastor Tullian is, is Billy Graham's grandson. He was the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church down in Florida um, until earlier this year, until very recently. There was a pretty big, and I hate to use the word scandal, but that's what it was. Um, whenever we, you have a pastor who ends up finding him or herself in trouble, 
and and having done something that's considered or that is morally either reprehensible or sinful and they're sort of exposed, it becomes usually a, a pretty big story. And I think in the case of Pastor Tullian, that's exactly what happened. But the difference, and I think what people will hear, and, and full disclosure, Chris had said this, I you know, know him, we're friends, we're friends. Um, and so it's always a weird situation when that happens because a story will break and then, you know, I covered it and then I sent him a message and I said, Hey, I'm covering this and you let me know when you want to talk, if you want to talk. And, you know, and, and, and then you have conversations when you're friends with people that are different from conversations and what you're covering and how you're doing it. And so it, it's weird. It's very weird. But the cool thing is that he has gone through, an affair. Um, according to accounts in media, and and I have not talked extensively in detail about these things with him for a variety of reasons, but um, he, he apparently discovered that his wife allegedly had an affair, and then he subsequently had an inappropriate relationship with someone, somebody after he found that out. And so he had to leave the pulpit. He, as you'll hear him say in the interview, has lost everything. But unlike a lot of other pastors who disappear, walk away. You don't hear from them until things are better and they're healed and they're healthy and they're and they're happy. He has been speaking out and talking as he goes through that healing process, which I think is really interesting and yeah. different in it. And is there anything you want to add? No, Chris? I just think I think it's a powerful tool. What he's doing and the way he's handling it is um he has to seek the forgiveness that, that God has for him and, and live right and, and fix things. And he has a whole lot of steps to go through. But the cool thing is he's letting people experience those steps with him that to say that's i'm i'm nothing there's nothing special about me we all go through this and i'm not just going to show you my highlight reel so yeah which which and and i wanted to and you're going to hear that in the interview but it's funny because i've interviewed him in the past and he's talked about that highlight reel how you should never show people just your highlight reel and how social media is just that and you had brought that up chris in the interview and i thought it was so ironic because i'm like 99 sure one of the stories i did on the blaze about him a year or two ago, he said that very thing, and he's sort of living that out now. And it's not my job or your job to to praise or not praise somebody when they're going through this and they've had a moral failure, but I do think to have a discussion about it is a very rare Agreed. thing. I agree. I agree. So let's roll it. All right, let's do it. Hey, Tullian, how's it going today? Uh, well, uh, it's it's going. I'm alive and breathing, and uh, I am doing far better than I deserve. Well, you know, one of the things that um, ha- has been interesting is you know you and I have interacted a bit. We've we've talked a bit, and I know you, and and we're friends. And and having you on here, I think obviously uh, people know what's been going on in your life based on reading about it over the past uh, few months. And you know, it's a it's been a very public thing for you. And I think one really rare thing just jumping into this and and saying it flatly is that it's not very often that something happens in a pastor's life a pastor as well known as you are and there's a lot of media coverage and people are talking about it and then that person sort of goes away for a while and you don't really hear from them and i think it's been refreshing and interesting to have a chance to hear from you so soon and while you're going through this still um i guess just to start tell us a little bit about what's been going on the past, um, you know, the past month in particular and, and how you're feeling in light of everything that's happened. Yeah, I appreciate it. I am, uh, I'm doing better now, uh, than I was a month ago, uh, or two months ago. Um, 
you know, I mean, this is the darkest season of my life. I'm 43 years old and I've never experienced a season this dark uh, before. And uh, days have been long. Uh, they've run together. They've been hard. I've looked for answers at times and haven't found any. Uh, I've been, you know, frustrated with God. I've been frustrated with uh, the church. I've been frustrated with all sorts of things. I have, uh, I have tried uh, in a futile way to blame something or someone other than me. Uh, for the mess that I'm in, and uh, of course there's no freedom in that. That just perpetuates slavery and bondage and bitterness and all of those things. Um, God has surrounded me with some really, really good people, uh, some good friends, uh, wise, older, seasoned counselors and pastors uh, who have really forced me to look at me, uh, not focus on you know, uh, people outside of me, whether it be, you know, church or wife or, you know, other people or things that I've been tempted to blame. Uh, it's so amazing to me how bad we are. <laughs> I mean, it's so instinctive for me. Uh, when this whole thing broke, it was so instinctive for me to be defensive, uh, to be frustrated, to try and locate blame outside of me. And, um, and I think it's not just these friends and counselors forcing me to look at me in light of these recent circumstances uh, and huge catastrophic mistakes and bad decisions that I've made, uh, but have helped me really kind of look at and dissect uh, who I am and, uh, you know, what led to this. Uh, and, of course, there are things outside of you circumstantially that can provide a context whereby making a bad decision is easier than at other times. But the bottom line is you're the one making the decision. No one makes the decision for you. It doesn't matter what kind of context or what kind of circumstances you may be in. Uh, there's no way for you to pass blame to someone else for a decision that you made. And so what, what, what was going on inside of me? What is, what was wrong with me? Um, you know, that in a sense, uh, led me to think that making a decision like this was the best way forward. And so, um, so I've, I've been, uh, forced to face myself in a deeper way than I ever have. And I've come to two conclusions and people who have ever listened to me have heard me say this on numerous occasions, but I've come to two conclusions. The first one is, uh, I'm far worse than I ever thought I was. The second one is, uh, but God's grace is infinitely greater than I could ever hope for or imagine. Uh, and that's really what this is all about. I've said right. for so long that, uh, you know, I mean, grace flows downward and meets us at the bottom. Uh, and that's where God is meeting me. And there was a while there where I just didn't even want to talk to God. I, I was avoiding him. I didn't feel like praying. I was angry at him. I thought, you know, God, you could have prevented this from happening, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, um, and so, you know, God's grace has met me in that place. Instead of turning from me and running from me, uh, God met me, uh, in my frustration with him. God met me in my anger toward him. And, uh, he just showed tremendous and continues to show tremendous patience and compassion and forbearance with me. And, you know, the Bible makes it clear that the kindness of the Lord is what leads to repentance. And so it's his kindness that has brought me to the place of completely owning what I've done, 
and recognizing the destruction that it has caused me uh, and those around me and countless others that I don't even know who have been damaged by this. Uh, you can't, you, you just, you can't do something like this or, or make a decision like this without the ripple effects reaching many, many, many people. And for that, I'm just sick and sorry. Um, and I can only hope and pray that, uh, you know, in time as God, as God heals me and as God reveals more of himself to me, uh, that I will, by his grace, emerge from this uh, healthier and more humble uh, and more excited about his amazing grace and his outrageous mercy than I've ever been before. Can I, let me, because you just brought up a number of things that I think are are interesting and also make this more difficult, right? You, you've always, I mean, you've been a public figure for years now and you've written great books and you've been out there doing interviews and talking about the gospel. And I think, you know, there's so many different layers of this. Um, being a public figure like that as a, as a faith leader, running a church, you know, when something happens in somebody's life, um, you know, people who aren't in those positions, it's sometimes, it's obviously very difficult, but it's not in front of everybody. The media isn't, they're not reporting on it. And I think in your case, and I, I think you can really give us insight in what a lot of other people go through when this happens, you have so many different layers and you started to talk about them, the people um, at, at your church, for instance, how have people at Coral Ridge reacted to this? Um, obviously, you not being the pastor there anymore. How, what has the reaction been? Has there been support? Have you heard from people? Just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I haven't really had a tremendous amount of interaction uh, with the people from Coral Ridge, um, not because I've been, you know, avoiding them or they've been avoiding me. I think it's just been, it's so fresh. And I've wanted to give, you know, them some space to process and heal. And the elders of the church and the pastors of the church uh, are, I'm sure, helping them do that. I have, however, run into people uh, from the church in town, uh, you know, at restaurants or, uh, you know, grocery store or whatever. And everyone I've run into has been unbelievably sweet and kind and forgiving. And we've you know, we've hugged each other and cried together. And, um, you know, I, um, the thing is, is for so long, um, I have been telling people that God loves bad and messy people because bad and messy people are all that there are. Uh, and I've always been pretty transparent about my own struggle in life, uh, and me wrestling with my own sin and my own, badness and that sort of thing. Uh, and none of that excuses anything that I've done whatsoever. Uh, however, it has provided people with uh, at least a theology of grace that doesn't cause them to go, oh my gosh, I, you know, here we thought you were this remarkably upstanding, almost, you know, flawless character and how in the world could this happen? I mean, not that they would have ever wanted this to happen, not that I ever wanted this to happen, not that they would have ever expected this to happen, or that I would have ever expected this to happen, uh, but their understanding of God and His grace doesn't collapse uh, because of this. And I had a friend tell me the other day, an older, wiser, seasoned friend say to me the other day that um, a theology of grace does not uh, excuse sin and bad behavior, uh, but it does have room for it in the sense that 
the whole system doesn't collapse because of it. Whereas sort of a much more moralistic or legalistic understanding of Christianity, it doesn't have room to make sense of things like this when it happens to people. And so the whole system collapses. They don't, they just don't know what to do with it or know what to make of it. Um, and I think when we understand who God is and how God relates to us based on what Jesus has done on our behalf, um, you know, it frees us to sort of weep and grieve and mourn uh, the destruction and the consequences that come along with making bad decisions and sinful choices, uh, but it doesn't cause us to question God's goodness uh, or the validity of the Christian faith, because this whole thing has never been about a particular preacher or uh, preachers or Christian leaders or anything like that. This whole thing has been about and will always be about Jesus and what he's done for us. And so when we fix our eyes on him, who is the author and finisher of our faith, when someone like me uh, blows it and falls, um, you know, it doesn't cause these people to just chuck Christianity altogether if they've understood uh, that God relates to us based on his grace and not our performance. Did, did you struggle with that at all, that notion of, you know, especially in the wake of when, when the story sort of hits the Washington Post and then it hits other places, did you struggle with the feeling of not only do I have to deal with what the ramifications are for my family, um, but I also feel responsible, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, I'm just saying hypothetically, I also feel responsible for how other people are going to see this as a reflection of Christianity. How did you process that, and what was that like in the in the early stages? Yeah, I, you know, I um, didn't think a whole lot about that, probably because I was just reeling from other things, you know? Um, I mean, I was just sort of just barely keeping my nose above water and at times wanting to just let myself go uh, and just drown altogether. But, um, you know, I, I sort of figured that there would be those people out there who don't know me, who don't know anything about who I am or what I've spent my life saying or preaching, who would just go, ah, here's another sort of, you know, celebrity Christian pastor who took advantage of his fame and fortune and, you know, became too big for his own britches and started believing his own press and just sort of did what he wanted. I understood that. I understood that there would be that. Uh, there always is. And that grieves me because I never, ever, ever wanted to give the world or any in particular person the justification not to believe in Christianity. And if at any level uh, what I've done has caused people out there to further question the validity of Christianity, it just, it makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, so, but I knew that that would be there. Um, you know, I also knew that there were people out there who, if they did know who I was and they did pay attention to the things that I've been saying, um, would, uh, would not condone, um, but they would, they would be quick to forgive. Um, and I was certainly hoping for that because I was very, very, isolated, uh, obviously beating myself up uh, to a pulp, thinking about what this has done to my kids, thinking about what this has done to the church, thinking about what this has done, even to the credibility of the message that I preach, the credibility of the gospel. And so I'm just, you know, swimming in guilt and shame and beating myself up um, and needing to be reminded regularly uh, that God loves sinners because sinners are all that there are. Uh, that God meets us at the bottom, uh, that the focus of the Christian faith is not the life of the Christian. 
the focus of the Christian faith is Jesus and his accomplishment on the cross for people like me. Um, and I had good people continually preaching that to me uh, during that during those early days. Uh, and if I hadn't been hearing that, um, I mean, I would have, you know, I would have jumped off up here. And what's funny to me is, I mean, I am experiencing the weight of the law. I mean, I've, I've lost everything. I mean, book deals canceled, lost my job, uh, you know, all my speaking engagements, you know, canceled, uh, wow. reputation, you know, soiled. I mean, everything, lost everything, literally everything. In the for the first time in 15 years, having now to go look for a job uh, and look for a job doing something that I've, you know, haven't been trained to do. I mean, I've just trained to preach and lead and, you know, I'm not in a position to do that um, and not qualified to do that right now. So I go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of swimming in the sea of my consequences. And there's a new story that comes out every day, it seems. Uh, and, you know, social media has people weighing in and offering all of their opinions. And, you know, some people who know you and some people who don't, uh, some of the sweetness out there mixed in with some of the meanness out there. And so I'm just, I'm living in it. Um, and so to hear some voices say, you're loved, you're forgiven, um, you know, without saying, okay, now you need to, you, we need to give you more law. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I, I can't handle any more law. I'm, my, my sin and my badness is being broadcast before the world, right. uh, seemingly on a daily basis. I mean, I, I feel like crawling into a hole and dying on most days. Yeah. What I need desperately is for you know, somebody, some people, those who know me and know the situation very, very well, uh, to look at me and say, it's not over, man. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's not over. Life is not over. Uh, God's working in your life is not over. Uh, God's love for you is not over. You can never, ever out the coverage of God's forgiveness. Uh, you're forever secure in his love because of what Jesus has done. He doesn't count these sins against you because he counted these sins against Christ. I mean, that's what I've desperately needed to hear. And it's hearing that that has actually been used by God to give me the grace of repentance. It's, it's freed me to be open and honest and to confess honestly, without going into detail, but to confess honestly, to stop blaming people, um, to own it, uh, to repent of it. And, you know, and I think it's important for people out there to know that there are... Um, there are some very, very, very good, wise, qualified people um, out there uh, who have been walking through this with me step by step. They know every detail. Uh, there are no secrets with these people. Uh, they have had the freedom to dig and dig and dig and dig, um, and they are working with the most accurate information about me that they can possibly work with. Mm. And these aren't people just telling me what I want to hear. I mean, these are people forcing me to face hard truth about myself. Uh, and just when I'm at a point of despair and going, don't tell me anymore, I want to die, they remind me of God's love. Yeah. Uh, and it's that that breathes new life into me. Tony, let me ask you a couple of questions. I'll split them up. So here's my first question. <clears throat> 
for those who are outside the church or maybe either outside the church or maybe they're kind of questioning the church or they're interested in church, but they don't understand the whole Christian thing. They don't understand the whole God thing. And then they see your story, but not just your story as a quote celebrity Christian, but even the average Joe Christian where they say, well, there goes another Christian hypocrite. That's why I'm not in the church. What do we say to them when when these kind of situations arise, whether it's whether it's Tullian or whether it's, you know, you know, Chris, the schmo, uh, you know, who sits in the back pew either way, when we have our fallings, when we have our times where we screw up, how do we answer that charge of look, there's another hypocritical Christian. Yeah, I would say, uh, number one, yes, that's one of the things that uh, the gospel of grace frees me to do, and that is to admit, yes, I'm a hypocrite. Thank God that his love for me is not dependent on whether or not I'm a hypocrite, because I would be right. screwed. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, you know, there are hypocrites who know it, and then there are hypocrites who don't, but there's no such thing as a non-hypocrite. <laughs> so I would own it, number okay. one, and say yes. Two is, I would say, one definition of hypocrisy would be claiming to be good, but being bad. Mm-hmm. And I would say one of the things that the Christian faith frees us to do is acknowledge our badness and to acknowledge our imperfections, um, because this whole thing isn't about Christians, it's about Jesus. Uh, And Christians are nothing more and nothing less than flawed followers of Jesus who trust in him because they themselves are untrustworthy. Um, And so, you know, I would own it and say, yes, of course, um, I would say the other thing is, uh, if if by hypocrite you mean, here's a guy claiming to be moral and good and have it all together, and look, behind closed doors, he's a freaking train wreck, I would say I was telling people in front of everyone that I'm a train wreck. <laughs> so, um, and that's one of the beautiful things about Christianity that no other world religion actually allows you to do, and that is uh, Christianity is not symbolized by a ladder, where we have to climb up the rungs of the ladder with our goodness. Uh, Christianity, the symbol of the Christian faith, is a cross. It's not God shouting down, climb up, it's God coming down to us in our mess, in our badness, in our sin, and saying, I forgive you, I love you. Um, And, you know, that love and that forgiveness, based on what Jesus has done for me, frees me to acknowledge that I'm a, I'm, I don't have it all together, man. I am a broken person living with broken people in a broken world. Yeah. I am far worse than I think I am. Uh, I'm far worse than I wish that I was. And if God's love and forgiveness of me was ultimately dependent on how good of a person I am or how moral I am, I would be screwed, and so would everybody else. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that would be one answer. Now, you know, whether or not they would accept that or not is, it would be out of my control, but that would be my, you know, that would be my initial answer. Okay. So let me, here's my other question. It's more of a, it's more of an observation with a question kind of attached to the end. And we kind of talked about this before, I think, but, um, you mentioned earlier that God, you kind of got angry with God, like, God, you could have stopped this. You could have prevented this from happening. And, and God often turns to us and says, yeah, you could have too. Right. Um, but I, I, what, one of the things that, that I'm admiring about what you are doing right now, even coming out and talking to us about this and being very public about it is that you're not just giving us a highlight reel. I, I, maybe you mentioned, I don't know if it was before the phone call or during, or maybe both, but there are a lot of pastors 
uh, there are quote celebrity pastors or just regular pastors who then something happens and they disappear for a while and they go through their turmoil and they you know get their you know 30 lashes or whatever and then they come back and you don't see the ugliness in between and we don't the world doesn't need to see your nitty-gritty of what happened um in in any regard but however you're not just giving the world a highlight reel of Tullian's life. You're saying, I got ups and downs. I'm not going to give you the Facebook story of my life. I'm going to give you the story of my life. And this is the stuff that's in it. Mm -hmm. So what do you hope? Because as Christians, yes, we're concerned about our own souls, but really our goal as Christians, once we're Christians, is to save everybody else, right? I mean, to help everybody else right. get to know Jesus. So what are you hoping um, happens as you tell even the ugly parts of your story, as you come out and say, this is who I am. This isn't my highlight reel. This is my story. What are you hoping happens from this? Yeah, you know, I really, you bring up a great point because I really struggled with that. When this first happened and the news broke, I, of course, wanted to crawl into a hole and never come out. I mean, I was like, I'm going to go be a cabana boy at some you know, at, at some resort in the Dominican Republic for the rest of my life and be anonymous. I want, I don't want a stage. I don't want a microphone. I don't want lights in my face. I don't want a platform. Uh, I just want to disappear. I, I want to be anonymous. I don't want to be here. I don't want anyone to ask me questions and I don't want to give any answers. Um, and, you know, I did that for a little while. Um, and one of the things that I really wrestled with was, hold on a minute. For years, I have been saying that, uh, like I said before, God loves broken, messy, bad, sinful people because broken, messy, bad, sinful people are all that there are. That, uh, you know, his grace is amazing and his mercy is outrageous. And uh, we can never, ever outfend the coverage of God's forgiveness. And uh, because Jesus won for us, we're free to lose. And because Jesus succeeded for us, we're free to fail without being cast away from God. And and, you know, I've always, you know, my ministry is, and the message that I've preached uh, has always been marked by a level of transparency and honesty about my life and about my own struggles. And, uh, and so, you know, the biggest part of me wanted to run and hide. Uh, and then I started wrestling with the fact that, hold on a second, if I, and this is what typically happens, a Christian leader or a visible person uh, does something bad, they they are exposed in an embarrassing and bad way for bad decisions they've made, whatever those may be, and then they just disappear. And uh, they go and get strong and shiny again, and then they reappear completely rehabilitated. Uh, and no one ever, ever sees the in-between journey through the valley of the shadow of death. And my struggle was, if I do that, then I am actually undermining everything I've said for years. Because now, I'm, you saw me when I was strong, uh, but I'm not going to let you see me when I'm weak. Well, that actually is more narcissistic <laughs> right. than, um, than disappearing, because it's like, no, I only want you to see me when I'm good and strong and shiny. That's, and so I'm not going to let you see me now, because I'm so concerned about my image that I only want you to see me when I look pretty. Uh, and so I said, no, hold on a second. If this message of the gospel of grace is true, then... And the gospel actually frees me to let people see me at my worst, because it's not about me. It's not about my reputation. It's not about what I look like or how I'm perceived. If people can see Jesus meeting me and loving me at my worst, 
that'll say something about Jesus, number one, but also it says something about the freedom that the gospel gives us. I don't, I don't have to put on a Facebook face for you and tell you everything's okay, or what happens oftentimes is, like I said, they come back in three years or two years or five years, and let me tell you a story about something that happened to me a long time ago. But I want I mean, I'm struggling right now, man. I'm struggling to survive every day. I'm struggling with despair and frustration and anger and fear and insecurity every day. But that's where the gospel meets us. It meets us in those dark places. And like you said, I don't have any interest in giving people a blow-by-blow account of every detail of my life at all. That doesn't benefit me or anybody else. But I do want to be... Um, I do want to be public enough about what I'm going through for people to see to see how God is meeting me and in the way that God meets me is how he meets everybody in their messiness. And I, I, I fully understand the risks of this because there are people out there who are going to simply conclude, gosh, this guy just can't stand the spotlight. He's so narcissistic and he's an attention whore and he's a grandstander. And look at this, he's now using this very public thing is an opportunity. You know, he's probably got a best-selling book in the works, and he's probably got his whole PR campaign. I mean, blah, blah. I get all of that, man. I get all that. But, uh, and, I, and, and to the best of my ability, I don't think that that's true, although I'm a sinner, and there's part of me that may be motivated by that. Who the heck knows? But as far as I can tell, um, I just really, really want to practice what I have been preaching. Um, and that means that I am going to... Um, I'm going to let people see me at my worst. I think they always perceive, like we always perceive these public figures and these, uh, you know, quote-unquote celebrity pastors. We see them leading big churches and staffs, and, uh, you know, they're strong and you know, on the radio and television, they're writing books, and everyone's like, wow, this guy's just got it all together. No matter what he says, he's got it all together. And I'm like, man, I am falling apart at the seams. Some days I don't even want to live anymore. But I'm going to let you see a little bit of that and let you see how God's rescuing me in those places. You know, one of the things that you had, you, you know, you kind of said before, if you didn't have the support of people around you, you might have, you might have jumped off of a bridge. And you, know, you, mm-hmm. you commented recently about the stresses that people are under after they're found to be um, committing adultery or in, in any type of scandal, really. You know, mm-hmm. expand on that a little bit, because I think it's really hard, and, and I set that whole example up before to try to show people the difference between being just a regular person who goes to work, does their nine to five every day and isn't in the spotlight to being that that difference to being somebody then who is in the spotlight. What is that pressure like on you? And, and you had said you sort of understood why some people do really go off the rails or do commit suicide in some situations. Can you just explain that a little bit and, and give people sort of a lens? And you've sort of done that, but maybe just a little more specifically into what the pressure of that attention is like. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, um, by God's grace, I've, I've uh, never uh, come close to taking my own life in this whole thing. And that's just a grace. That's just a gift. Um, it's certainly not strength on my part or some moral fortitude on my part. It is just God bringing rescue at times when I needed it the most. But but for the first time in my life, I really now understand why people would take their own life. I mean, when you are drowning in a mire of apparent hopelessness and despair, and you cannot see any light anywhere, and you're questioning your whole existence and wondering if you will ever, ever be able to come back from something like this. 
uh, in any way, shape, or form, whether you're a public or a private person. Um, you know, that when you start taking account, taking into account the damage that has been done to, you know, your family and your friends and people out there, and you know, so much stuff. It's so embarrassing to me that you know, the the basically the the worst external decision I have ever made in my life is now, you know, exposed to the public nationally, internationally. Um, and, uh, and you go, that's, I will always be known as that guy. Will I always be known as that guy? Oh yeah. I remember that guy. Didn't he blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's just, it, it makes you question your whole existence. And, um, and so I totally, I totally get it. And, uh, and if I didn't believe the gospel, uh, as much as I do in terms of, the way God loves and the way God forgives and the unconditionality of God's one-way love to sinful, broken, messed up people like me, uh, I would have given up a long time ago. Um, there was all, not only did I have, you know, people outside of me preaching the gospel to me and reminding me that it's not over, that God is doing something and we don't know exactly what he's doing, but we do know that it's for your good and for his glory. I needed people like that, but it was also the, you know, I mean, just internally, I mean, God just speaking loudly and clearly and compellingly to my unbelieving and despairing heart and saying, I'm not done with you yet. Okay. I've got this. I've got this. Um, I have allowed this to happen uh, because I have something I want to show you about me that you couldn't see before. And I also want to show you something about you that you hadn't seen before. I, I was talking to an older friend of mine who's, who's 75 years old. He's like a father figure to me. He's been a pastor forever. He's known me since I was six years old. Uh, and uh, I said to him, I was just opening up, just sort of throwing up and just saying, I, just, I need counseling. I need to go. I need years and years and years of counseling. Why did I do this? Why did I do this? I need to figure myself out. My gosh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he said, you can do that. And I'm not I'm not suggesting that you don't do that. But he said, uh, let me just give you sort of the old man's uh, take on this. Uh, you forgot how bad you were and God needed to remind you. Because you're the guy who preaches grace, and you preach it with conviction, and you preach it compellingly. Um, but at some point, consciously or unconsciously, you you forgot just how desperate you were for God's grace. Uh, and you know, I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, it is believe it or not, it is a grace when God reveals to you how much you need His grace. Um, and, you know, so I'm, I, I live these days with more hope um, because of that, because the gospel is true, because I have people committed to preaching it to me. Um, I am, for the record, doing much better now than I was before. And I told one of my counselors this morning on the phone that uh, it feels like I'm more emotionally and spiritually healthy now than I've been in months and months and months. Uh, and that's a great testimony to, to God um, and his work and the people that he's put around me. So, Tony, I have, I have one more question, and then I'm going to let Billy have the last, you know, questions. Um, you've talked a lot about, you know, God's grace and mercy and how he has loved and forgiven you. Um, and I ask this just as simply as a, as a brother in Christ of yours. Uh, how are you doing on the love and forgiveness side? 
How are you doing with your love and forgiveness with folks in the situations? We don't need specific names or anything, obviously, but there are, you're not the only person in this situation. How are you doing on the love and forgiveness side? You mean, how am I doing in terms of giving love and forgiveness? Giving love and giving love and and forgiving. Yes. Giving love and forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the more, uh, I become aware of God's love and forgiveness for me, um, the easier it becomes to love, uh, and forgive those around me. Um, because you're right. The, the whole situation, uh, everyone involved in the situation is a sinner. (laughs) Uh, there's no one sin free in this. And so not only am I in need of love and forgiveness, but I have to love and forgive those around me as well. And, um, and it's been, you know, it's been hard. Uh, it's been hard because I've dealt with anger. I've dealt with resentment. I've dealt with bitterness. Um, I've dealt with confusion and frustration and all of those things. And, um, and it's been, it's been very hard to love and to forgive. It's so tempting to believe that, um, that holding a grudge or making someone pay for what they've done to you is where you're going to find freedom and, uh, rescue. Uh, and it's a, that is a dark self-salvation project. And, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to realize that, um, forgiveness is the pathway to freedom, uh, that there is no, there is nothing good that comes from harboring bitterness and being resentful and trying to make people pay for whatever you think they've done to you. Uh, I mean, that just leads to a life of bondage and slavery. And, um, so I would not say that it's easy, uh, but as I uh, experience more and more of God's love and forgiveness and become more aware of God's love and forgiveness for me, uh, it becomes it becomes more natural for me uh, to recognize uh, my need to love and forgive those around me. Good, 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 good. Listen, Tullian, we uh, we definitely want to have you back again to to talk more about this as you sort of journey through. And I know. Um, you know, I was going to ask you what's next, but, um, I think that's, you probably, can. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll throw it out there just as a final, as we, as we close out here, what is next for you? Well, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Um, there are a couple of different options for me. Um, you know, very sort of low profile behind the scenes options for me. I've told the people around me that I need four things. I need a pastor, I need a church, I need a community of friends, and I need a job. Uh, Those are the four things that, as far as I can tell, I really need practically. Uh, I really do need a pastor, and I need a church, and I need to be surrounded by people. Uh, It's been very, very difficult, virtually impossible for me to go to church anywhere where near where I live because I'm so visible, and it could end up being a distraction. Uh, And so... I was in Orlando last week um, and went to a friend of mine's church, uh, and it was the first time I had actually been in a worship service since Easter Sunday, and uh, it was such a confirmation to me that I need a church bad. Not a church where I'm the pastor, not a church where I preach, not a church where I'm a leader, just a church where I can be a member uh, and you know 
hear the gospel and be in Christian fellowship. So, so I'm, I am trying to find those four things, a church, a pastor, a community, and a job. Uh, and I, there are some good leads on a couple of those things. And, um, and I'm beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of what's next. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. Well, listen, we appreciate you yes. coming on the show today. And again, we definitely want to have you back, back very soon. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for being willing to talk to me, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Tolling. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my ass. Okay, so I'm bringing us back this time because I am a pro. Because you're competent. Because I am a professional. So we just got a little bit of, we just got a few minutes here. And, and um, Billy wrote a story. When did you write this story? It was earlier this week. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. So Thursday, so it's dated the 20th or something. And earlier this week, there was a big, was it a hack into uh, Ashley Madison? Is that right? It was. So somebody hacked yes. the Ashley Madison um server and got a whole lot of information out of Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison is the is the quote service that a lot that helps people to cheat on their spouses. You can find someone to have an affair with. Life's too short not to have an affair is kind of their motto or something. Something along those lines. It's a horrible evil organization. Okay? Just straight out horrible evil organization. So um there's been a whole lot of talk about who's on this list, who's in their server database and all this kind of stuff. And there have been some other um revelations of people in um DC and that sort of thing, and without a whole ton of specifics as far as I can tell, but people in the Pentagon and in the White House and on Capitol Hill and all sorts of uh, government. You can agencies. actually check. There are databases you can go into and plug email addresses in and check. And a right. lot of people are like, just don't do it. Don't even go right. there. But it's don't basic. check your loved one. But it's based on email addresses, and there's some of the email, like there was a story that came out because people wanted to drag Ted Cruz's name through the mud that, you know, somebody from Ted Cruz's office. Well, it was like the press shop at Ted Cruz's. It says press at tedcruz.gov or, or .senate.gov or whatever it was. It wasn't necessarily somebody in there, but it, uh, Ashley Madison just requires you put an address in there, so it was somebody who used that address. So who knows who it actually was. So just because somebody's address, email address is in there doesn't mean that that's the person, okay? But there is there is one name that we know that is involved with the Ashley Madison thing, and Billy's got a story about it, and it, it involves our favorite subject. The Duggers! The Duggers! So, so well. now we got a story on Josh, uh, big handsome man Duggar. Josh Man Duggar. What's the story, Billy? The thing about Josh Duggar is basically the accusation was that he had accounts on Ashley Madison, right? Now, he didn't come out and admit that he had the accounts. But what he did come out and admit yesterday in a statement published on the Duggar family website, and I'm just going to read you the first line here that I found the most surprising and shocking. He said, quote, I am so ashamed of the double life that I have been living and I'm grieved for the hurt pain and disgrace my sin has caused my wife and family. He also said he's been the biggest hypocrite ever. Those were his yeah. words. And he admitted to having a porn addiction um, and to also cheating on his wife. And right. his wife just had a baby, I oh, think. Um, so they've got sad. four kids. It's so just, sad. it's sad. It's sick. And you know, He's sorry for the pain and disgrace, and I and you know what? There's no reason we can't say we whether we believe him or not because it's not in our place to judge. So he has said that. And I hope that he means it, and I hope that everything. 
I do hope that everything well, works out. But can I say that this disgrace just barely beats out the disgrace of the reality television show that he was a part of for a long time? I mean, you need to be you need to be asking forgiveness from the country for the disgrace that that. <laughs> You, that show. I'm sorry. That's a horrible thing to say. You're awful. Well, but I but I I do think that we need to be fit. This is a tough. This is a yeah, tough thing is. because it I is. think it is. I think that if you have 19 kids, first of all, yeah, you have very high odds that a couple of them are going to be messed up. Well, um, especially when you get to number you know numbers 15 through 19, they're falling out of you, and there's a good chance they're going to have a okay. head injury. I mean, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, uh, and that apparently. But the the thing with this is, is that like, well, what if he really does have an addiction? What if there really yeah. is something that is wrong here? I, I I also like this is one of those things. And I struggle with this because it's so everybody wants the headline. Right. I'm sure right. Gawker was so happy with their headline and all the other outlets that went after this. And we covered it. Right. You know, everybody wants the headline. that's going to get clicks. But you do forget sometimes. And I think people working uh, reporters and bloggers working in the modern era forget that these are people's yeah, lives and now people. look it's totally hypocritical to walk out there and work for a family organization and then you know to go on and on and i don't know what quotes he had about gays and lesbians but i'm sure there were some quotes out there and how they're destroying the family when you are on ashley allegedly on ashley madison when you're admitting to cheating on your wife right you are living a double life and it's wrong but you know, this yep. is somebody's life yeah. too, you know, and, and that's where I struggle with these stories. And yeah. I think you report what you have to report. And in this case, they put a statement out. I reported on it. And I think when there's news, you do that, but there will be people who go out to destroy. And I know you don't like the Duggars and I'm not a Duggar fan either, but they're, they're, their entire family ends up being destroyed based on the sins of one person. Right. Well, and, and that's, I mean, that's part of, now I, I, I do agree that this is, you're talking about a wife and kids here. And so they're, they're dealing with that sort of thing. The other side of that is, listen, the only reason we're talking about you at all is that because you and your family chose to have your and your family be exposed to the entire country. Your every, every move was under a microscope and you got paid handsomely for it. So, you know, that's the other side of this, right? Yeah, no, and I've always been one to say this is what comes along with fame and, you know, but I do think when you're when you're a Christian family or when you are talking about your faith and you're putting it out there, this is similar to what we were talking about with Tully and when you're in that position, especially when you're a pastor, you really are opening yourself up to a lot of scrutiny and yeah. You know, that's what's happened here. There are a lot of people who will say, "Look at those crazy Christians, they're yeah. total hypocrites." But at the end of the day, I would always argue, and I'm not saying this about Josh Duggar, I'm saying this more about Tullian, I think. It's really easy for the people who don't claim to live by a standard to go out there and slam all the people who have these moral failings. Right. I think we should call the moral failings out. I think we should hold people to the standard. But I think it's easy to do that when you're somebody who's not living by those standards. I agree. I agree. It's just, to me, it's sort of disingenuous, and it, and it really fails to see... It fails to look at the overarching paradigm of somebody yeah. trying to live better who's failing. Yeah, not well, that I'm not saying that about Josh Duggar. I just think that's why conservatives, conservatives, and Republicans, when they screw up, it's headlines. When liberals or Democrats screw up, there's crickets. You know, right? Because they don't have a standard that they're not living to. <laughs> These guys do have a standard that they're not living to. 
And I think we should call it out. I, yeah, I do. So absolutely. I don't want people to misinterpret that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, though? Absolutely. I think it's easy. These people love to marinate and how and ruining people's lives sometimes on the on the other side. But they fail to really understand how difficult I think it is to try right. to live to the standard. But you should still be held accountable to it. All right, good. So we we need to get out of here because it's well, it's time. And um, so. <laughs> As we get ready to close, Billy, I, I was wondering if you put this on your on your to do list. Um, with all of the lovely things we've been saying this last break, would you see if you could get the Duggar family on the phone and we'll have them interviewed for next week? <laughs> um, I'm. It's funny. Jim Bob emailed me one day Big, randomly. No, is this is this Big Bad Jim Bob Duggar? The father. Yeah, he emailed me. This is like two years, a year or two ago. Okay. Um, probably two years ago, and. He was like, I thought you might be interested in this. And you sent me a link. And I was like, this is really interesting. And then I responded and it was like, I got an auto message. You've reached the Duggar family mailbox. It's too large. You know, too many emails are coming in. We won't, right. We're never going to respond to you. Right. And I'm like, well, he's using that to email me, but we never right. talked again. Oh, man. I'm guessing we won't talk now that we've said these horrible things. But, you know. You never know. You know, we could get them on and then just give him a verbal lashing. We could. Or if you find Well, I do know the Bates, who I really like. That's another family with 19 kids, and they have a show on Up. Um, And I know one of the Bates really well. And in fact, I think we had him on the show, Lawson. I can't remember, though. I interviewed him. I don't know if he was on the show. But, you know, he's great friends with with them. So it would be good to talk with him about this, maybe. Yeah, and you know what? I give them a lot of grief, but mostly because I think all reality television is silly. So if you're a part of that world, I'm going to call you silly. But anyway. So I guess we won't be getting the Duggars on anytime soon. So if that was on your... The well, Dug, like, I want to do the Duggar. It feels like a dance. <laughs> it does. There is a, is, there's the Dougie, right? Isn't there the dance, the Dougie? Yes, yes, okay. there is. But yeah. I don't know what kind of... Let's not even talk about what kind of dance the Duggar <laughs> dance got some. Be. I got some ideas. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> and with those lovely thoughts, Billy, any advice for the peeps out there? Read your Qurans. And your Bibles and the Blades. We will... God, you are just, I don't understand, you know, with all of the, so Glenn puts out this new book, you know, it, it is about Islam, right? You know, and there are threats and nobody wants to have their name on the cover. And then you go and you say things like that. So you're trying to get us from all sides. And I really appreciate that, Billy. My children do too. So when, when, um, don't when worry, this, nobody's coming to Zimbabwe <laughs> where you live. This is Zimbabwe is a very nice place. All right, we'll talk to you later. Uh, we got to get out of here and hope you all have a whatever. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye-bye.